The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Now this morning we're bringing to a close our four-week series on Advent, of looking at the beauty of this story. For you see, the Bible is a singular story. It's not a compilation of smaller stories, of individual lives, of people, wonderful folks like Ezra or like Jonah or lives of Mary Magdalene or of King David. And you read these stories of their lives and how individuals attempted to to be good enough and to make their way to heaven. But it is truly one singular story about how God pursues you. How God, in the infinite wisdom of His being, before even the foundation of the world, which is impossible for us to grasp, came up with the plan in the Trinity, in the Godhead, between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, saying this, Christ, second person of the Trinity, full of grace and truth, equal with God the Father, equal with God the Son, in power and in glory, you are going to leave heaven. I'm not sure this happened, but you can imagine when that announcement got rung out through all of heaven that all the angelic beings had to go, what? You're going to do what? For whom? And Christ is going down into humanity, not standing on the outside of the chaos, saying, come, get out of your mess, get out of your mud pie, get out of your hole, get out of all of this that you've created, come to me, get yourself dressed up nice, get yourself fixed up nice, and then when you're good enough, I'll accept you. He said, absolutely not, there's no way for you to ever find me or want me, no one pursues God, no, not one, that I'm going to come down into your chaos, and I'm going to redeem it, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to give up all the excellencies and the beauties of heaven. It's hard for us to give up the beauties and excellencies of our homes to go and to serve somewhere else. Or when someone comes and visits, when someone comes to visit your house, what room in the house do you give them? The master suite, right? You willingly displace yourself from your room and your bed and your bathroom because you want to suffer so someone else can be blessed, right? No? I mean, we're terrible like that, aren't we? We don't even want to give up our bedrooms, and Christ was willing to give up the excellencies of heaven to come down. How astonishing and amazing He is. And it's His story that started, as it were, in a garden. And it ends in a city, but a unique city, a garden city, a city garden, where He comes and we saw Him in creation as the Lagos. And the Lagos was with God and the Lagos was God. The very meaning and essence of life itself, the meaning of why we exist was in Christ, is Christ. And He came and in finding Him and Him finding us, we find purpose and meaning. If you're struggling and and you're going about and you're looking for purpose and meaning, you're only going to find it in Christ for He is the true Lagos, the true meaning, the very essence of And when you come into relationship with Him, you find who you are. You come alive for the very first time in your life. You begin to see and experience life differently. But then we recognized that there was a fall. That the creation was lost. That Adam and Eve made a decision. 
And at the root of the decision, at the root of the original sin, wasn't just disobedience, that's bad enough, it was distrust. And that seed has been the seed of our fall ever since. That we have a deep and a profound distrust of God. That we think that he's withholding something from us. And the way that that plays out is this way. We try to gather up as much stuff as we can in this life. Because if we think that we're going to lose it, then somehow it's not, our life isn't going to be meaningful. And so we work hard to get ahead and to go and to move and to be better than. Because we think if we just say, okay, God, I'm totally fully sold out for you. That somehow he's going to not bless us. He's going to not care for us. That he's not going to take care of us. But we said this, God, if you go into the fields and you see a flower and you look at that flower and you realize if God gave this beautiful flower a radiance and an intricacy and color and beauty like this, how much more will he bless me? Made in his image, I can trust him with my life. Parents. You can trust God with your kids. You can trust Him. You don't have to control everything. You can entrust your children to God. What an incredibly difficult concept, right? Because when you recognize God's full love for us, the things that we love in this world, all of a sudden we hold them, but we hold them much more loosely. For we say this, God, I trust you with my spouse. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my wealth. I trust you with my life. Because you're trustworthy. And so Christ came and he entered into this fallenness to say to us, I can be trusted. You can trust me. Then we saw last week that in Christ's coming, he gave to us eternal life. John 17 has said that Christ had a singular purpose and a singular focus. And the singular purpose and focus was this. He came for no other reason than to give eternal life. Not to give happiness per se, not to make life all better, not to put back broken relationships, not to to make you uh, gain money again if you've lost it all, not to get you healthy if you have cancer. Those are wonderful possible byproducts of the presence of God in your life, but they're not guaranteed. But what is guaranteed is this, if you believe in me, you gain eternal life. And guess when that eternal life begins? We said this last week. Now! You can begin to experience eternal life now. You realize that, right? right? Yeah. You don't have to wait till one day that, oh, well, I'm just going to make it through this life and then I get to experience eternal life. But no, now, even in the brokenness and the fallenness of who we are, there's glimpses of glory within each of us. When you go today to your house and you're going back into a relationship that may be difficult, or you go to school tomorrow, or you go to work tomorrow, and you're around other believers Instead of focusing on their fault, look at them and begin to see the glimpses of eternal life breaking forth through them. See beauty. See wholeness. See see something beyond what the world says is there. For eternal life we begin to experience now. That's why Christ came, to recreate these things. And then this final chapter, this final part of the story, the flow that we have, is a new creation. That God is going to come back again. Christ is going to return. The second person of the Trinity is going to come back, but this time He's bringing all of heaven with Him. He's bringing everything and He's going to say, I'm making all things new. I'm going to recreate all things. That there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
that you know that we, we've seen in the Scriptures when we die, it says that we go immediately into the presence of God. Not some soul slumber, not some holding tank somewhere, not purgatory to work it out, uh, not anything like that, but we go into the very presence of God. But that's not our final state, right? You know that because that, that means that there are believers who are up there around God, and it's just their soul, their bodies are still in the ground. Their bodies have decayed here on earth. And so what's going to happen is Christ is going to return and it says that the dead in Christ will be raised first. That their bodies will be made new and glorious and right with Him. And they'll be raised with Him and then those who are still alive. And then He's going to recreate all of the heavens and the earth. And we're going to dwell with Him now forever and ever into eternity with God forever. There you go. That's awesome stuff. You can't go see a movie that's any better than that. You can't read a novel that's any better than that. But that is our hope and that is our future. That there's going to be a new creation. And in it, guess who is going to be recreated as well? You. As nice as you look today, you're still groaning into the effects of the fall. Your body, your flesh, who you are, the effects of the fall. I don't have answers to some of these questions that you may be asking. I don't know if there will be receding hairlines in heaven. I do not know if there will be cellulite in heaven. I do not know if if there's gray hair in heaven. I don't know any of that. I know this. If there is, it's not bad. It's not bad because there's nothing bad there in the new heavens and the new earth. But it's all glorious and new and made right. And so this morning we're going to read what would probably be the quintessential passage on this new heaven and new earth. Looking at Revelation chapter 21 and the first few verses of chapter 22. And I want you to remember context. Who was this written to? It was written to a suffering church who were facing persecution. They were facing death. They were facing difficulties that we don't face in our country as Christians. As one pastor put it, the flea bites of American persecution. They're flea bites. They're bedbugs, they're annoyances, but we're not truly being persecuted like these who stood and heard these words, and they would have held these scrolls, and they would have listened to them and memorized them, and said as they were being funneled into the Colosseums, and as they were seeing their loved ones taken away, they were going, I remember what John said. He said that one day there's going to be a city, and there's going to be a lamb. And all things will be made right and new. And though I weep now and though I suffer now, one day I won't. And these words became real to them. They riveted them down into the very marrow of their souls. They screwed them in deep. They're not flippant and light on the outside. So listen to it in that way. Allow God's word to be riveted into your very soul. So that when you face life, you face it with God's word speaking to, in, and through you. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you'd speak to us. Thank you for your word. Would you be blessed by the reading and hearing of it? Amen. This is God's very word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for, those, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven blast plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. The south, three. And the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and heights are equal. And it also measured its walls, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city of pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, uh, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, uh, the tenth Christophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the God of the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no sun, no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing 
to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. We could pretty well stop there. You should be encouraged there of what is to come, what is taking place already, what is our future, what is your inheritance. This is your life, that's your future if, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, it's an exclusive city. It's a city that's not open for uh, everyone, but only for those whom the Lamb has invited Only those whom uh, their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And that writing being done in the indelible ink of Christ's blood on your behalf, there never to fade, never to be erased, never to be blotted out, but secure and eternal in that book. And so the most important exercise that you have in your life is this. Know whether or not your name's written in that book. It's an important book. In almost every book in my library, it says, this belongs to Bill McCutcheon. It's printed right there in the front. I have a little stamp because I don't like my books wandering off and leaving and going someplace else. I like to make sure that, I, that it's known who these are. It's important for you to know this. Inside Christ's book is your name written there. And so what we're going to look at today in the few minutes that we have together as we conclude these thoughts of Advent and head into Christmas itself We're going to look at what God gives to us in his new creation. In this description of his new creation, what he gives to us. And then secondly and simply, how do we gain it? How do we gain it? What's he offering to us? What's he giving to us? And then how do we gain it? How do we uh, appropriate that into our lives? Well, the answer to the question of what is it that he offers to us? What is it that he's giving us? Is simply this. He offers to us a new hope. He offers to us a new hope. For in the statement there, in verse 5, he says this, And he who was seated on the throne, the Ancient of Days, God Himself, says this, and you can only imagine it with a voice that was described as 10,000 voices, a voice thundering uh, into all eternity. He says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Behold, I'm making all things new. And our hope, your hope, the hope that you have is not in any system of government. It is not in where you live. It is not your country of origin. It is not your marriage. It is not what you've acquired, what you have keep until the end. It doesn't matter how many commas or zeros that you have. None of that. Our hope is firmly fixed for the believer, for anyone really. The only hope that we have is in this, that God is making all things new. And included within that word all is you. For he says this, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and we'll get there in a second, but if it is, then that means you are being made new. That I'm making all things new. And you would know this because your English skills are so strong. You would know that he is speaking in the present progressive tense. Right? Oh, come on. You don't know that. (laughs) You're going to go, sure, you said it. But he is actually speaking in the progressive tense, which means this, I am now and will continue to continue to do this into the future. He's not speaking in the future tense, which would have said this, I will make all things new. 
It says, I am making all things new right now. This transformation, this beginning, this newness that you're experiencing, you are beginning to experience it now, kind of like eternal life. It's not an out there one day thing. It is a beginning now within the life of the believer. And you would also know in your studies this, that there are two different Greek words for the word new in English. And you would have already gone, well, I wonder if he's talking about neos or kainos. Because neos, that's confusing. Neos means it's new by age, it's young. Uh, that it wasn't there before and it's new, it's young in age. Is that what he means? And you would probably say no, and you should say no. That's not what he means. He's not using the word neos. He's using the word kainos which says it's a newness in quality, not in duration. He's saying, I am making that which already exists, you, creation. I'm taking that and I'm making it new in its quality, in its very essence. And I'm making it now have a different vividness. I'm making it have a different brightness. Uh, I'm making it have different qualities that are there. A different beauty, a different strength. I'm making it new and I'm making you new in that way. It's not simply that the old is past and the new has come. It's saying that this now you, the person sitting in your seat, that God is taking you with all of your story. And that's a hard point. Do we pause there? Have any of you ever done anything for which you are deeply ashamed? If I invited, that's it? We're going to have an open mic. And since most of you don't have anything that's worrisome, then share it all. Most of us have things that we would be like, oh no. And you know what? That oh no sits there within the root of our soul. And we hear this, God can't make you new. He can't redeem that. He can't redeem what you did. He can't redeem that way back when, or yesterday, or this morning. He can't. But this says He makes all things new. He will take your life and He will transform it with a vividness and with a vitality and with a beauty and with a strength that are already there, but they're so pressed down by the fall. They're so pressed down by the flesh that God is coming in and saying, I'm bringing all that to life. I'm bringing all and making you new. Isn't that awesome? And guess who else he's doing that to? Look next to you. He's doing it with that person as well, if they're in Christ. And he's saying this, do not define yourself by what is old. No longer define yourself by what you used to be, but define yourself now by what I am making you. You are new. A new creation in Christ Jesus. Let me give you the test I gave you a few weeks ago. How many of you woke up this morning, went into the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and went, blessed child of God? Honestly, anybody? Why not? Really, why not? Because you don't believe that that's who you are. You look in the mirror and still see shame. You look in the mirror and try to hide. And God is saying this, I'm making you new. And you're beautiful in my sight. And if I declare you beautiful and I declare you radiant, then that's what you are. Who are you? How dare you say that what I declare is wrong, even about yourself? So try this week. It's going to be a hard exercise. But look in the mirror and say this to yourself. 
Bill, in Christ, you are beloved and beautiful and radiant and strong and a good husband and a good father and a good pastor and God absolutely loves you. Folks, that's not a pep talk. That is speaking truth to a heart that doesn't believe it. And you need to practice that. Because you're going to go out of here today feeling pretty pumped up until someone looks at you and goes, really, you? You? I told you the story of the first time I preached in Charlotte that some of my friends came and some of the parents of my friends came to see me preach. And they knew me and I was not a believer as a young man. I lived a wild and crazy life, truly, of which I do... I carry the wounds of, but I was standing there preaching and one of the dads afterwards, instead of coming up and going, man, that was great, Bill. It's wonderful to see the transformation that's happened in your life. He said, I wanted to stand up and go, yeah, but I knew you win. That's how we defined me. Of I knew Bill McCutcheon win. And I said, yeah, but I'm not that. I'm no longer that Bill McCutcheon. I am that Bill McCutcheon, but I'm a redeemed version of that Bill McCutcheon with a new vitality, a new vividness, a new kinos. Do you recognize that you have a new kinos? That you're new? That there's something glorious about you? And that God is giving you this new hope because of that. That you have a hope. That you look into this picture and you see all the descriptions of a city, of pearl gates, of glorious streets of gold. But then you recognize this, the pearl gates are made of one pearl. How in the world could one pearl be large enough to make one whole gate that's big enough for people to walk through and horses to go through? This has to be be John's best attempt at describing something that's indescribable. And how many of you have within your portfolio transparent gold coins? Anybody ever seen transparent gold? Because it doesn't exist. John was saying the streets of heaven, the beauty of heaven was so glorious that the only thing I can possibly in the English language come up with is transparent gold, which doesn't exist, but it's that radiant and that glorious. That's how good it is. And then he said in the middle of this city and cities for so many people bring about an ugliness and a lack of life. He says, but this is a different city, a glorious and beautiful city that has a tree of life in it. And interesting, he seems to indicate more than one tree of life. For he says, there's a stream of water, the stream of the river of life, and on each side of it, the tree of life. So I don't know if that means there's one massive tree of life and the stream goes through the middle of it or basically there's a population of the tree of life and the leaves upon that tree are for the healing of the nations. And there's no need for the sun and there's no need for any other, right, any other kind of light because the beauty and the essence of Christ is there and it's glorious and it's wonderful and it's a meal that's made for us there. Picking up on imagery all the way back from Isaiah 25 and on this mountain that is Jerusalem, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He'll swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. And we've waited for him. 
that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isn't that awesome? What are you going to do right after church today? That's not a trick question. What are you going to eat? You're going to go have a meal. When you sit at that meal today, sit differently. See it as a foretaste of a true meal. That one day there's going to be a meal within a city where Christ is going to be at the head. And he says the best of the best. This isn't a a conversation about whether Christians should drink wine or not. It says it right there. There's going to be wine in heaven. And it just says this. I'm not making a... It just says there's going to be the best of the best. And it's going to be at the table. And you're going to eat. And you're going to drink. And you're going to do it all to the glory of God. For God has come. And he said this. Let's have a meal together. Let's experience beauty together in that midst. So when you go have lunch today, it's a foretaste of what's to come. And recognize this of who's at the head of that meal in your home or in a restaurant. There's this beauty that's coming. There is this hope that is ours. No more tears. No more sorrow. It says that his name is going to be written on the foreheads of our bodies. What an odd statement. You go, what in the world? That you would go, oh, I know that. Old Testament, Yom Kippur, high priest, name of God written on his forehead. One day a year, he went into the Holy of Holies. I, oh, he's relating me to the high priest because now there's no need for sacrifice that he's with me. I'm his temple. I have absolute access to him. Oh, how awesome is that? This is my future. This is my reality. This is my present. This is the promise that I have. I have this new hope. In the Lord of the Rings, the hero, Samwise Ganji, he was with Frodo on the way to try to solve the problems of Middle Earth. And evil was coming over him. And the battle was raging. And Samwise was ready to give up hope. And he laid down and he looked up. And the beauty of it smote his heart and hope returned. Like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that the shadow was a passing thing. And there was light and there was high beauty forever beyond the reach of darkness. My hope today in spending this much time on this first point, which means we're not getting much of the second point, is this. Look beyond the clouds. Look beyond the cloud of this life. Look beyond it and see that there's something so much greater and glorious that what it does is it brings within you a courage. It brings within you something that says to the ones, our martyred friends, brothers and sisters, that said to this, because I see through the clouds and I see that there's something more glorious and that heaven is a real place and a real city and a beautiful return to a garden, then I'm going to watch my child go into a coliseum never to be seen again. I'm going to watch my parents die and look at me and say, don't give up your faith. I myself am going to go and be ripped apart. But I'm going to do it with a courage. A courage that isn't human. It's not defiance. It's courage. That says I know where I'm going. 
And I know what is settled for me. And in that I do not fear. Do you want to live a courageous life? Do you? Believe this. And it will transform your life. You have a new hope. That make you a courageous person. A tender person. A hopeful person. That you have hope for God to do great things. And then finally I'll simply say this. How do you get it? How do you appropriate this? You make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And here's how that happens. You believe this. You believe that Christ climbed upon a tree so that you could gain a tree. A different tree. A tree of life. He gained a tree of death. You believe that He became accursed, Galatians 3, on your behalf so that you would never have to know any of the curse on yourself. That He drank a bitter water out of a bowl of wrath so that you would drink a beautiful, clear, clean water of life from Him. That you would recognize that Christ experienced a darkness. Remember what happened on the hour of His crucifixion? In midday it became dark. Why? The Father turned. And where the Father turns, there's only darkness left. He experienced a darkness so that you would be able to experience a light eternal in the presence of the true King. That's the only way to gain this. It's to believe in Him. To place your faith in Him. To displace yourself. And put it on Him. It's a beautiful story. It's the reason that Christ came. To give you hope. I guess my question for you today is this. Do you have hope? If not, would you allow me, others near you, to introduce you to the one who can give you that hope today? Make sure. It's the most important task you have. Make sure your name's written in this book. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your glorious might. Thank you for the story of Scripture. Thank you that we have true hope founded in Christ himself. I pray that for those who are here who may be unsure of where their name's written, Father, they'd be less concerned about the naughty list or the nice list, and they would be most concerned about this list. And they would do whatever they have to do to come and to kneel before you and to give their lives to you today to make sure they have that assurance. And in that, would they then begin to see beauty and to see their lives renewed even now and to have courage to live. Father, I praise you for your goodness. What a gift that we have to know that this is our future. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. Amen. Let's stand and sing.